Our New Testament reading today will be in 1 Peter chapter 3. Uh, Before we go there, I want to draw your attention back to our Old Testament reading of Genesis chapter 40, sorry, 39. Joseph did everything he could to live a good life and a life obedient to God. And in part, he was respected and rewarded by it, first by the master who bought him for managing his home and then by the jailer who had charge of him. But also notice that doing good brought about the wrath of the wife of Potiphar and in the end got him abandoned by the people in the jail. I want you to keep that in mind as we look at today's passage because we're looking at our life, our holy life, while we're living amongst really the enemy. Those who do not know God, those who do not worship God. And so Peter, in our passage, has turned his thoughts from a list of specific areas of concern uh, with dealing with the government, dealing with our masters, dealing with husbands. And he's turned his mind now to some more general ideas about living a holy life, a good witness, before a hostile world, and then doing good in all of that. So we will read today just verses 8 through 22, 1 Peter chapter 3. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you are called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil, his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be the will of God, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey. When God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Baptism, which now corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven, 
and is at the right hand of God, with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. We will be looking at verses 13 through 17. For who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Before we consider this, let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would open our eyes to see and our hearts to receive the things of this passage that are instructing us how we should live amongst the Gentiles, how we should live with the enemy, that we might bring glory to your name and might do the best we can as described by you. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. So the question, who is there to harm you, is a rhetorical question. The answer is implied in the passage, no one. Uh, People like those who are doing good. We saw that earlier when we were talking about uh, submitting to authorities in chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. Be subject to the Lord's sake for every human institution, whether it be the emperor supreme or governor sent by him, to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. In a properly running society, those who do right are praised, those who do evil are punished. Uh, Normal, because that's what people want. They want people to do good to them. When society breaks down, the opposite is often the case. But in a functioning society, that's desired. Uh, People like it when good is done to them as well. And even the pagans understand this and know this. Jesus talks about it in the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 5 of Matthew, verse 43 to 48. He said, you've heard that it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That was a Jewish uh, proverb, not a biblical one. But I say to you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father in heaven. For he makes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Now here's the important part. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? Tax collectors were the lowest form of life in Jewish Israel. They were considered to be traitors who had gone over to Rome and were working for the Roman government and taking money from the Jews. And then he says, even they love those who love them. You know, if you do good to them, they'll love you back. And he says, if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You know, even the, the wicked understand if you do good to them, they will do good back to you in general. And that's why it's really good for us to try to do what is right and to be good to them. As Peter has said in our reading today, don't repay evil with evil. Paul talks about that again in 1 Thessalonians 5, 14 through 18. He says, I urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, people who are not doing any work, tell them to get get a job, earn your own living, stop mooching off family and friends and church. Uh, Encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. In other words, get the church work, the people of the church working in the normal way in society that is correct and proper. 
See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Doing good is part of the Christian requirement. Doing good not just to ourselves, our family, our church, and the believers, but really to everyone. Doing right to them. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for it is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now we are to do good and to be good, and if we are doing good and being good, nobody should be bothering us, in theory. Uh, Practice gets a little more difficult, but that's what's right before God and what's normal amongst men. Repay good with good. And it goes further than that, though, in our passage. It says, if you're zealous for what is good, we should have zeal for all the things that are right before God. Now, there are many lists of right and wrong in the the New Testament. Uh, Many lists of things you're forbidden to do in the Old Testament. We know them all. I'll just read one here, Romans 13, 11 through 14. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from your sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand, so let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness and sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. You know, we know all those works of darkness of the past. Now that we have Christ, now that we are in Christ, we should turn away from those and do what is right. Now, interestingly, I want to add one to that that's not often found in New Testament lists of sins, but it is found in right behavior. Uh, Hebrews 12.14 says to strive for peace with everyone in holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Our walking rightly amongst the Gentiles, amongst the unbelievers, amongst the enemy, includes not provoking them unnecessarily. Proverbs 15.1 says a soft answer turns away wrath, but a hard, harsh word stirs up anger. And we are called to be gentle, we read in our passage, we tender-hearted, sympathetic, not with harsh words, but with gentle answers. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention, Proverbs fifteen eighteen. You know, we are to live at peace with all men as much as it is possible for us, and that includes really watching our tongue, not just not lying, not cursing, but not being harsh not provoking people to anger. A man's wrath stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes much transgression, Proverbs twenty nine twenty two. You know, remember the old battery commercial? He puts the battery on his shoulder and says, I dare you to knock it off. You know, Christians are often like that, but we shouldn't be. I remember a young man with very long hair down to about here, blonde hair, coming to me and asking me, because I hadn't said anything, asking me about his hair, what I thought. He was deliberately trying to provoke me to say, well, you know, you should have short hair like a man. 
because then he could use that to say, well, see, you know, you're judging me unjustly. He wanted to provoke me, another brother. <laughs> I just kind of chuckled at him and said, what do you think about it? Why are you coming to me and asking me? Do you feel it's wrong? And that's why you're, uh, you know, why you're trying to pick a fight? Uh, we shouldn't be trying to provoke people. We shouldn't be putting a chip on our shoulder and daring them to knock it off. We shouldn't be trying to make them angry to show them how ungodly they are. We should strive for peace with everyone. And our zeal for goodness and for God needs to be better than the zeal of the Jews of Jesus' day. Remember what Paul said in Romans 10? I bear witness about them that they have zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God, they seek to establish their own. And they did not submit to God's righteousness. Now, they were very zealous, but not according to what God wanted. And a lot of times Christians want to be very zealous. And how do you express your zeal? You get up in their face. You let them know they're sinners. You yell at them. You curse them. You tell them they're going to hell. What are you doing? You're provoking them. Is that really helpful? And we should be zealous for good, and that includes striving for peace. Paul in Romans 12 said, you know, repay no one evil for evil, just as Peter has just said. We give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all, if possible, so far as it depends on you. Live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. You know, we as Christians cannot be as pugnacious as the rest of the world if we are going to honor God by seeking peace by living according to that knowledge that we have from God, that he desires us to show his goodness to others. You know, what did God do to us? Did he love us while we were unlovable? Or did he get in our face and say, I'm throwing you into hell? You know, even on the road, Paul, he says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He doesn't get in his face yelling and cursing and saying, you belong in hell for the wickedness that you've done. Repent. Uh, it's, it's popular thinking in, in our lives, but it's worldliness. We are to live with the enemy wisely, not provoking them, but showing them the goodness of God to our life. Just as he causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust and had mercy on us while we were yet enemies. So we also should be treating others. However, we really are living with the enemy. In verse 14 it says, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. I think the Greek there, the be verb is missing, so I would say you are blessed. I think making it future is unnecessary in that context. If you suffer for righteousness' sake, you're blessed by God. So I have no fear of them. Do not be troubled. In this context, Peter's not talking about persecution for the name of Christ. And we, we read about that in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 11, and 12. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and other all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. 
Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You know, that's not the context here. Yes, there's a blessing for being persecuted for you know, sharing the name of Christ and testifying about him for being essentially a prophet. Not prophet as in God gave you the words, but prophet as in opening the scriptures for men. But that's not really the meaning here. Peter's talking about our behavior. Paul mentions this in 2 Timothy 3, 12 through 14. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. The persecution may come because of the life we are living, the things we are doing. When we do what is right, as we saw in our Old Testament reading with Joseph, he wouldn't have relations with another man's wife, so she was angry. You know, if we do what's right, we will be persecuted right before God. And Paul goes on to say, well, evil people and imposters go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it. You know, we know what God wants from us. We know the life that God wants us to lead, the model that we should be in society, in our church, in our home, in our workplace. When we're waiting in line at the government office, whatever we have to do, we know what he requires. But when we do that, it will offend some when they do harm us for doing what is right, we are blessed both then and eternally. It's not just a promise for eternity, but God is there. He is blessing. He is encouraging us for doing what we are supposed to do. This is one of the wonderful promises of Scripture. We get weary in doing good because it doesn't seem to have a reward. It seems to only bring trouble. Yet God promises us that we are blessed when we do right and suffer for it. He asked that question, who will harm you? And Tuesday night we were talking about this in some detail. Can the world harm us as Christians? Well, it can harm our bodies. It can harm our finances. It can take away some of the happiness we have in day-to-day activities by making them more troublesome. But can they take away our heavenly treasure? Remember in Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1, we talked about this. Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ Jesus from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfighting, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for the salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. And this you rejoice. Though now, for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Notice we have that inheritance. It is kept for us in heaven. It is imperishable, uncorruptible, undefiled, unfading. Can they take that away from us? No. Can they take God's love away from us? Shouldn't that be what we treasure? The love of God, more than money, more than wealth, more than happiness in this world. Paul says in Romans 8, 31 and following, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If we're doing what is right before God, we're living a good life before God. They can't be against us. They can't do anything. 
He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also give him, give graciously all things to him? Who shall bring any charge against God and select? For it is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus who died. And more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. His point there being, the judge is the one who died for us. How is he going to condemn us? Oh, I died for this person. So he should go to hell? No, it's not going to happen. They can't change that. They can't separate us from the love of Christ. And that's where he continues. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither life nor death, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Can they harm us by separating us from God's love? No. Is God's love not the most important thing in our life? If they can't take that away, then they can't harm us. Can they separate us from Christ? Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. It says, For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper, I shall not fear. What can man do to me? Can they take God away and not hear our prayers? That he will not hear our prayers? We've seen this before, Proverbs fifteen twenty nine. The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayers of the righteous. There's no place they can put us, not the deepest dungeon, not even death, that will separate us from God. Yes, they can do a little harm here. It's not normal. If you're doing good, they should ignore you. They should be thankful for you. But as we'll talk about in a little bit, that's not always going to be the case. If we do good, though, it should be unlikely that we suffer for it. Yet we do live with the enemy, and we are enemies. We are in different kingdoms. We are in the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God's Son. They are in the kingdom of Satan, where we once were. And so they will try to harm us because of that. But notice... He's not dwelling on that here. What he's focusing on is that we should honor the Lord first in our lives. If we honor the Lord first, the Lord is glorified. The Lord will give us our reward. The Lord will bless us. And so he says, honor Christ in your heart. Honor in your hearts, Christ the Lord is holy. Now, there's an interesting incident in the Exodus that helps us to see what Peter's talking about. It's back in Numbers 20. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. They were complaining, Why did you bring us out? Why did God bring us out in the desert to kill us? There's no water here. We're all going to die. It was better for us to have died before. It would be better for us to have stayed in Egypt. Anything is better than being with God who's not giving us water. 
And so they were blaspheming God and doubting his power and doubting his mercy and doubting his intentions. And so he says, tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. Tell the rock. That's the key part here. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give them to drink to the congregation and to their cattle. And Moses took the staff before the Lord as he commanded him. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly before the rock. And he said to them, Hear now, you rebels. Shall we bring water out of a rock for you? He was very angry because they were talking also against Moses and against his God. And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with the staff twice. And water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank in their livestock. But verse 12, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. How did they not uphold the Lord as holy? How did they not believe? Well, many say, well, they were told to tell the rock, and instead he struck the rock. But there seems to have been in that act some doubt about God, not glorifying him before the assembly, but coming angrily to the Lord, what do I do? He did not honor the Lord as holy, did not honor his name and give him glory before the congregation. Instead, he left the congregation and went to God, calling on God to give water. Now, it's a difficult thought, but his job as the leader of Israel, was to put forth God's glory. And our job as Christians is to show forth God's honor and God's glory and God's holiness in our lives. When we sin, we are not doing that. And that's why we are warned here to put in your hearts, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. We are to honor him as holy with the way we live our lives, with our hope, with our prayers, with our, li- with our lives and with our answers. Now, in Isaiah 8, there's a little passage in verse 13 about honoring the Lord. And he's speaking of the, the Assyrians coming and people making alliances with other nations to try and stand against Assyria, even though God has told them they will be captured by Assyria. And to these conspiracies, he says, but the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear. Not Assyria, obviously. Let him be your dread. And he, be, and he will become the sanctuary and the stone of offense and the rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inheritance of Jerusalem. Many shall stumble on it, and they shall fall and be broken, and shall be snared and taken. Now he's speaking of Assyria, but those words are also used of Christ, that he is the rock of offense to Israel, to stumble over them. But it says, honor the Lord of hosts. Him you shall honor as holy. Now that has always been God's desire, that his people would honor him as holy in their lives, in their faith, in their confidence in him, in their hopes. And that's where we come in the next section, 15, verse 15. Always 
being prepared to make a defense for the hope that is in you. Always. This isn't limited to just when we're arrested. You know, we're told by Jesus in Matthew 10, 19 and 20, when they deliver you over, do not be anxious for how you're to speak or what you're to say, for it will be given to you in that hour. (coughs) For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you talking about they would be arrested and handed over to the various authorities. That's not the limit here because it says always. This is talking about our daily conversation, how we live our lives, the things we say, the things we do, the answers we give. Deuteronomy chapter 6, 4 through 9, speaks to this to the Jews of the Old Testament. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I commanded you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way. And when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as signs on your hands and fasten them as frontlets before your eyes. You shall write on them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And so speaking of the things that God wanted them to do, the the commandments that he had given them, how to live their life, it was to be something they were doing every single day, looking at it, thinking about it, considering it, living it. And that's what he's talking about with always be ready to give an answer. What's the question? Well, how can you be so calm when this disaster is striking? How can you be so calm when you've learned of your sickness? Why aren't you angry with that person? Why aren't you retaliating against them? Why aren't you doing what we do? Why aren't you upset? Where does your confidence come from? Always be ready to give an answer for the hope that is in you. I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I have the forgiveness of my sins. I have reconciliation with God. I have the adoption of sons. I have an inheritance kept safe for me in heaven. I have 24-7 access to the throne of grace. And so can you. With gentleness and respect. He continues on in verse 15. With gentleness and respect. Not the evangelist who's in your face. You're going to hell. You deserve to be there unless you repent. That's not what he's talking about. Calling people names, getting in their face, getting them upset. I mean, how many of us in our life have ever responded positively when somebody gets in our face yelling at us? It, It doesn't happen. You're not winning an evangelism by raging and rampaging at someone, because that's just going to make them angry, not repentant. It closes their ears, and it persuades them that the God of the one who's raging in their face is definitely not the God I want. We have to be careful. Remember what was said to wives back in the beginning of this chapter? Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word, by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. 
Even earlier than that, in chapter 2, verse 15, this is the will of God, that by doing good, you shall put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. You know, we give an answer for the hope that is in us, but it is an answer shared with love. What is our purpose? Is our purpose to glorify ourselves, to express our hatred for the person, to become a martyr for Christ? Or is our purpose to see them repent and give glory to God? If it is, then yelling and screaming, getting in their face, isn't going to work. Yes, they need to hear about their sin. But they need the message of forgiveness, just like we've received. He continues on in verse 16. Having a good conscience, when you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ might be put to shame. Now, we looked at this earlier in the book when we talked about the same matter. But in this context, think about it. You're suffering for Christ. You're suffering in life. Why am I suffering? Does God hate me? Is God angry with me? Is he chastising me as a son? Why is this happening to me? If my conscience is not clear, I'm going to be tormented by these things. Remember David. Psalm 32, he says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sins is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as in the heat of summer. You know, if our conscience is not clear, the weight of God's displeasure is upon us. The fear of God is overwhelming us. If we have a good conscience, we can stand up under that suffering and say, the Lord is blessed. The Lord is with me. All of the promises that the Lord has made to me will come true. And I don't need to be worried. Now, David goes on to say, I acknowledge my sin to you and did not cover my iniquity and said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You know, when we are living with a guilty conscience, we need to clear that as soon as possible. Because when trouble comes, when disaster is visited upon us, it is too late to repent. So he says, having a good conscience, so that when you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. If your conscience is clear because you've been doing what's right and they're speaking evil of you for what you have done, they will be put to shame. We are zealous for good if we are seeking peace with everyone then we really don't have to torment ourselves about why is this happening to me? Does God hate me? Because he won't. We'll, we'll have a clean conscience. And all of their words against us, all of what they are doing to us, will be seen in the proper light. They will be put to shame rather than us being ashamed. So a good conscience concerning our behavior in Christ, particularly towards others, towards the Gentiles, is really needed if we're going to suffer rightly for Christ. Because we are living with the enemy, and the enemy will hate the things that we love, and we will be persecuted. 
Verse 17, he says, but it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be the Lord's will rather than for doing evil. You know, it is a cursed world and we do suffer as a matter of course. We suffer because of sickness. We suffer because of injuries. We suffer with infirmity and old age. We suffer violence. I remember one time I was reading some magazine about martyrs. It was talking about this month's martyr. A young girl on her way home from school had acid thrown in her face and she was robbed of all her things. And says so she's a martyr for Christ. I read the whole article. There was no indication in there that the thief knew she was a Christian, that she was targeted for being a Christian, that this had anything to do with Christ. It's the evil of this world. We live in a cursed world. Sometimes we're robbed. Sometimes people are murdered. Sometimes we're hurt. It's not necessarily suffering for Christ. How we face that suffering either glorifies Christ or defames him. But that's not martyrdom. Uh, last week we saw we should have sympathy with each other and be concerned about one another's situation and cond- condition as if it were our own. Uh, chapter 3, verse 8. Have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, humble mind, etc. Now, that's not the suffering being spoken of here, though. It's not the suffering that comes from being in a fallen world. Sometimes we do suffer for doing wrong, even as Christians. And that's what he's talking about here when he says it's better to suffer for doing good than for evil. You know, if we're foolish and stupid and we injure ourselves, or we face consequences because we harm somebody else, you know, those consequences are just and therefore are evil. If we commit crimes, we've read back in chapter 2, the, the governors are sent by the emperor to punish those who do evil. And so for our crimes, we're punished, and that's right before God. Romans 13, God's serv- we are God's, for the governor is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Sometimes we suffer for our crimes. Sometimes we suffer because we're obnoxious and belligerent. I want to give you an example of this, and I'll be mentioning the example as I finish the sermon a few times. When I was in Cambodia, I was in the main tourist area near the central market, quietly sitting and having my lunch. And this man comes out, and he has a big bullhorn, a really cheap one. You can hardly understand a word he says. But he starts screaming in it and running around and pointing at people as they're sitting there having their lunch or as they're walking by shopping, screaming at the top of his lungs, you're going to hell. And hell and Christ, very little else could be understood. Uh, He probably considered this evangelism. But that kind of thing is not legal. It's a tourist area. You can't go disrupting everybody having their pleasant time. And you can't be running around doing that sort of thing in a place like Cambodia. They don't allow it. People might hurl insults at him. They might be angry with him. And he might suffer for for that behavior because he's being obnoxious and he's being belligerent. And, you know, I would ask, if you think that's evangelism, 
Again, how is that going to be effective? How is it glorifying God? If it's evil to the hearers who are having their, their meals disrupted, their quiet conversations disrupted, somebody screaming at them, aren't they just going to blaspheme God? Look at what this guy is doing. You know, there are ways to do evangelism. And he suffered probably for what he was doing. Uh, but sometimes also we suffer for good. And that's what Paul was talking about when he said, all who desire to lead a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Second Timothy 3.12. Persecution comes because we do the right thing, because we live a godly life. Not necessarily being hated because of Christ's name, but being hated because of our behavior, which is good behavior. Uh, Peter mentions this in the next chapter, in chapter 4. We'll, we'll get about it, onto it there, but in chapter 4, verse 4, after he's talked about all the disgusting things they do, maybe I'll just read from verse 2 since I have the time. You know, live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time has passed. The time that has passed suffices for doing what the Gentiles do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. You know, none of those things should ever be in the Christian's heart or life. Uh, with respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. You know, being a goody two-shoes will get you maligned. I remember at GE, even before I was a Christian, not wanting to go with the guys to a um, strip club. And they maligned me for it. I wasn't even a Christian at the time. It was like, I don't want to go with you guys to a place like that. Oh, you goody two-shoes. You know, how much more so as a Christian, when so much more of your behavior is going to be at odds with the world, are they going to malign you? We're hated because in seeing our good behavior, they understand that theirs is evil. We're hated because they want to believe good is evil. Isaiah talks about this in Isaiah 5.20. He says, Woe to those who call good evil and evil good, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. You know, those people have been around throughout all of history who want to say evil is good and good is evil. And that's happening now. In Canada, you can literally get arrested legally for saying homosexuality is sin, because that's hate speech. Good is evil, evil is good. And so we will suffer for doing good. We will be hated for doing good, but we are still to do good. Normally, people should respect us and like us because of the good we do. But the opposite will happen. And if you should suffer, that's fine if you're doing it for the, according to the Lord's will. Now, I mentioned the guy with the bullhorn. You know, if he's, he might be puffed up and say, I'm, you know, I'm doing evangelism and I'm suffering for the Lord and I'm a glorious martyr for the Lord and I have a great reward in the Lord because people are hurling insults at me. They're throwing bottles at me. They're cursing me. They arrest me. They put me in prison. But is that true? You know, is that for the Lord, according to the Lord's will, that he behaved that way? Is he a holy martyr or is he just an annoying person? 
The way to test that is if it was a Hindu who had the speaker or a Muslim or a Marxist and they were screaming and yelling at people, would he get the same reaction? Well, then probably he's not being persecuted for Christ. He's doing it on his own. But there are people who want to be a martyr and they go out and try and get in trouble. They want to make people fight them so that they can say, see, I'm being persecuted for God. But he says, no, it's better to suffer for doing good than evil. We shouldn't go looking for trouble. We shouldn't go looking to become a a martyr. We should be looking for ways to live as God has prescribed, you know, showing our holiness and our goodness to all and being good to them and even repaying evil with good because that is a witness to them. If we are called to suffer, if we are called to be martyred, we should do so with a clear conscience. You know, the last thing you want to do is be sitting in jail saying, is this because of me or because of Christ? Is this because I'm a jerk and deserve it? Or because Christ has called me to this? We should be suffering for the will of God. Let no one, Peter says in chapter 4, verse 15 of this book, let no one suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. We should not suffer for our sin. We should be living a holy life. And if we do suffer, suffer for doing good. Uh, I want to close with a final passage out of Romans. I'm in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 through 10. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. The one who sows to his flesh from the flesh will reap corruption. The one who sows to the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially those of the household of faith. I think he's calling us to the same thing Peter is. To lead such good lives among the Gentiles that they will glorify God, even though they speak evil of us. And even though we may suffer, if we suffer for good, it is blessed. We should not, as Christians, be suffering for our evil, for our sin, or even just for our unpleasantness as people. We need to live a life worthy of the gospel, worthy of the Lord, honoring and glorifying him, in all that we do while trying as best as it lies within us to be at peace with everyone else. We need to lead such good and holy lives that God will be glorified. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you for these reminders that tell us to go against the desires of our flesh and tell us clearly how we should be living our lives to glorify you. And pray that you would help us to focus on doing what is right in your eyes, doing what is right in the eyes of the world as much as possible, as long as it's right before you, and trying to live at peace with everyone, that your name might be glorified and your people might be admired even by the wicked. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.